0: This story, before we really dig in and unpack it a little bit, I want to kind of tell you where we're going. I want to talk to you this morning about being a spark in your environment that can create a fire for God. Now, when we become Christians, when we choose to follow Christ with our lives, despite what some people might think... None of us sign up to be a spectator. None of us are entering into this Christian faith with this precedent or understanding that, okay, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and watch certain people in the church do the work of building the kingdom. When we are called into a relationship with Jesus, make no mistake about it, every single one of us are called into a life that will bring about transformational change in our context, our community, and our environments in the present ages that we live in. It's part of the design for each of the Christian lives that God calls us into. So we accept that, we embrace that. Now, What's interesting about this story that we're going to see is that Jesus used a very unseeming man to be a spark in a situation that led to a mass movement for Christ, and I feel like we are in a time in our country, in a time in our nation, where we've sort the pendulum has sort of swung. In the direction to an extent that really what we need more than anything to bring about the kind of change that I believe many hearts desire to see is we need to see an outpouring of God. We need bona fide revival in this nation. You know, it's it's not something that politicians and lawmakers policy change and reform are really going to be able to solve and sustain for us on a foundational level that's going to last for years to come. You know, you just can't throw a Band-Aid at certain kinds of things. Now, policy change and laws and all those things are important, but what I'm trying to say is that they need to follow behind something that's happened, some kind of a change that's taken place on a much deeper level, one that is spiritual in nature. I'll just remind you that the Bible says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, carnal things of this world, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this present age. We need to understand what kind of fight we are in. And when you look back through history and you see movements of God, we call them revivals, let's say outpourings of God's spirit, they're marked by certain characteristics. Now I want you to think about where we're at today. And then I want, to, I want you to think about these different revivals over history that have occurred throughout the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. One of the things that we see very predominant in society at the times of mass outpourings of God's spirit on a nation, a region, a group of people, is we see that that group has went into a period of spiritual decay and decline morality has been uh, kind of abandoned principles and foundational truths have sort of been swept to the side and spiritually that nation that land that group has been in decline for a period of time and reached a point where now what needs to happen is so significant that it's going to take something drastic and something swift in order to pull things back in the other direction sound familiar to anybody today Another thing that we see that's marked periods of revival and if you study and see kind of what was behind a lot of that is once revival has come through, once a movement of God has come through, it leaves the condition, the atmosphere, the land in a completely different state than it was before it swept, economically, morally, Protection, safety, blessing, all those kind of things. It's like there's just been this massive turnover and change that revival has instigated and paved the way now for something that's sustainable for years ahead. And, and we've seen this throughout Many years, there was the Great Awakening that happened in the 1700s that began over in Europe and then spread here into the United States. We saw the revivals that sparked out of Azusa Street down in the southern states of the U.S. in the early 1900s. We had something called the Toronto Blessing up in Canada in the late 1900s. There was something called the Second Great Awakening. There was the Brownsville Revival. There were all these periods in history... Where God has just chosen to pour out his spirit in a more intense way than possibly other periods of time because the nation or the state of the climate was in such disarray that it was going to take something absolutely drastic to turn it around. Can I suggest to you that the stage has been set? I mean, it's kind of like a perfect storm right now if you want to look at it that way. And when revival comes, when God's spirit is poured out and it moves, listen, it's always going to meet opposition head on. It's like a collision of two worlds. It's like a collision of God's power in heaven being poured out and the opposition of the rulers of darkness that are trying to oppose a move of God here in the world in our day and age. And the spirit of God is poured out, revival sweeps through, things are changed, conditions are changed, and left never the same after that. And I believe that's where we're at today, that we need God to move in a way that's so swift, so drastic, and so powerful that really, folks, I think that's where my hope is at, is in the church and in God moving through our nation to bring about this kind of transformational change. Now, don't get too excited yet, because guess what that means? You play a part. We all play a part when you look behind the scenes, behind the curtain a little bit, these revivals, these mass outpourings, when you back it down to the beginning stages, sparks, little sparks, grassroots movements at foundational levels in small towns, small communities that began in the hearts of individuals like you and me. Hallelujah. Can we take responsibility for that? Can we embrace the call and say, yeah, Lord, you've called me to great and mighty things. I want the blessing. I want the favor. But guess what part of that is? I am an ambassador for you. I am a spark meant to help start a fire in the day and the age that I am living in. Just think, guys. I mean, changed hearts and people, changed lives, just like we saw today. All these folks coming forward, making a stand for Christ. I could tell you firsthand from knowing these individuals, it's not just those people right there that are being changed. Their families are being touched right now. There are families in this church that began from one person's life getting turned around. I've seen it time and time again. The day we stop believing and having faith that one life could be the spark that instigates massive change is the day that I'm concerned about where we're headed. We've got to believe and know that one person on fire for God, that their life can be a spark that starts a wildfire that literally spreads throughout a region. I mean, why not Waterloo? Why not here? Why not this area? It's, ha- it's got to happen somewhere. And when it happens in one community, it starts in another community, and all of a sudden it starts moving and it can't be stopped. You know, some of these revivals lasted for a decade or longer. Millions and millions of people were converted into the Christian faith during these outpourings. Millions more healed, saw miracles, all kinds of signs and wonders. I mean, it was genuine outpouring from heaven on our earth. And people touched it, people tasted it, and people were set free from bondages that they were living and walking in as a result of that. Much like we see from this man in this story today. So let's take a look at this. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples. He gets to the other side of the sea, and he's in a region, an area called the Gadarenes, which is part of a region known as the Decapolis. The Decapolis is basically ten cities that are kind of all united together in the northern, northeastern region above the Sea of Galilee. Predominantly, they were Greek in their culture, and in their influence. So they were idol worshipers, and they were Gentiles mainly as a group. So this is what's, first of all, interesting, is Jesus, if he was following cultural standards, if he was adhering to Jewish tradition, he should have never been here. And he most certainly should have had nothing to do with this man. And let me tell you why. First of all, it's in the Gentile region. Jews by culture, by tradition, were not supposed to have any interaction with Gentiles, non-Jews whatsoever. It was considered unclean to have that type of conversation and interaction with them. So Jesus already breaks rule one. Number two, it says that the man is demon-possessed and he's been cast out of society. So society has given up hope on this man. They have no more solutions to offer. They don't know what to do because this man has a demon spirit, which that demon spirit responded to Jesus when he asked its name. It said, Legion, we are many. Legion in the Greek is a term used for the number 6,000 in the Roman infantry. Estimated to be thousands of demons in this man. You think that Satan can't get a stronghold in people's lives. Let me tell you, he can Okay, And he formed one in this man's life. Society could do nothing about it. They finally gave up and cast him out. Get out of here. You're not allowed to live with us anymore. This man is doomed unless somebody like Jesus comes along with a solution. So he's a Gentile non-Jew, and he's also demon-possessed, which is absolutely considered to be stay-away taboo. Don't want to have anything to do with that. Thirdly, it says that there's a region of swine. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jewish culture, they do not have anything to do with pork. They do not eat pork. They don't raise pigs. That's not part of their culture. It's considered unclean, going all the, back to, all the way back to Old Testament times. So to be in a region where swine are being raised and are running around everywhere, Jesus just broke rule number three. Don't you love how Jesus is a rule breaker? I love it. I mean, he, he's disruptive in the right kind of way. Let me go back to my point in the beginning. When God moves in a situation facing opposition, disruption has to occur. Something greater has to move in and pave the way for God to do what He wants to do. And Jesus is just laying the groundwork for that. So, this guy, they're in the region of swine. I remember um, we went to Israel a couple years ago and we became really good friends with our tour guide, a guy by the name of Amit, and he's a Jew. And he came into the States last year and spent a few days. He came down and visited with us and spent a few days here. And he says to me, when I picked him up at the airport, he says, man, you got to take me somewhere to get a good steak. I said, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I mean, we got cows in Israel, but like nothing like what I hear you have in the United States. And I'm like, we got Angus, baby. Yeah, you, you, you're going to, okay, I got a treat for you. So I take him down to Tucker's in Soulard, one of my favorite places for a ribeye. Jen's has got a great ribeye, too, right here at J. Fires. So I take him down to, Sulard, to Tucker's and Soulard, and we get a ribeye, and man, he's just loving it. You can just tell he's never ate a steak like this before. Changed his life. Anyway, no, i really. <laughs> <laughs> So we get done with the meal, and it finally occurs to me as I look down at his salad bowl that's not completely finished that there was bacon in his salad. <laughs> I never said a word. I didn't say nothing. I just let it be let it be. So they have no dealings with swine. That's the third thing about this man that is all of the reason why Jesus shouldn't be here talking to and engaging with this guy. And the fourth thing is that he's living in tombs. He is in a tomb in the mountains. This is his home where they put dead bodies. Now, Gentiles are unclean, pigs are unclean, Dead bodies are absolutely unclean. They're to have no interaction, no contact with these dead bodies after the embalming process and the things they do when they put them in these tombs. This man, by cultural standards, guys, he's as far gone as you can get. He's as dirty, he's as messed up, he's as outcast as anybody could possibly be in this society. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes right up to the man And he engages with him and he demonstrates his love for him by setting him free. Jesus broke the rules on a popular religious mindset that was elitism. That certain people were high enough up and religious enough enough and spiritual enough to where they weren't to have interaction with certain kinds of people in society. And Jesus comes along and he flips it upside down. He turns it on its heel. He says, I'm bringing a different mindset. He goes right up to this man. He engages with him and he delivers him from this demonic oppression that he's been in for who knows how long. There were no solutions that society could offer this guy. Do you see that? Again, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Society was busy dealing with flesh and blood trying to figure out worldly solutions. How can we help this guy? Maybe get him into some counseling. Maybe get him some treatment. Some medicine might help. I don't know. You know, something. Anybody out there today, right? They're trying. But they got no answers for this guy because the condition is deeper than that. People in our world are in a state of spiritual depravity. There is nothing worldly that can help them. It is only a movement of Jesus, an encounter with the living God that can liberate them, set them free, and help them become all that God is calling them into and created them to be. And Jesus comes right up to this man. He engages with him. It doesn't really say what the disciples were thinking. I can only imagine if if they're around the scene, they're probably like, what's he doing? He's not supposed to be talking to that guy. What's going on? What is Jesus doing? And Jesus is breaking all the rules, man. He's flipping things over because he's trying to show us what he wants us to do. He's trying to demonstrate for us, by example, what he's calling us to be in our communities as sparks for change that will spread fire across regions and communities. Amen? Now, something really interesting happens after Jesus sets this guy free. Let's read in verses 18 through 20. Listen to this. So when Jesus got into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So he wanted to come with Jesus. Not a bad request. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he has had compassion on you. So the man departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, key three words, and all marveled. I find this really interesting because certainly there are times we know where in the Bible God has called people out of places He's called them out of situations. We know God calls people to go be missionaries and sends them to foreign lands. Those things happen by way of invitation of the Holy Spirit when it does. In this particular case, that was not what was occurring. This man wanted to jump in with Jesus. He wanted to uproot in the society that he was in. Understandably so. Look at how these people had treated him. Look at the way he was living. Look at the conditions that he was, he probably felt like, I I could never re-enter society. I never want to be around those people that treated me that way again. Let me go with you, Jesus. I went out of this place and I went out yesterday. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to go back where you came from I want you to stay in the context, in the environment that you're in right now, and I want you to go make a difference here. I want you to take what I've given you, and I want you to spread that good news, and I want you to be a spark that starts a fire in a region I want to bring transformational change to. Hallelujah. Did you know that this area... In the Decapolis, Deca means 10, so 10 cities, right? This area of the Decapolis was one of two major Gentile movements that sparked a move for for Jesus. The other one was the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Mostly Jesus was working and ministering in Jewish culture, but these were two Gentile movements that began. And they began grassroots. They did not begin on a grand podium and stage. Do you understand that? They began with life up close and personal the way you and I are living it every day among people in the world. And the minute we don't think that our lives can be a spark for massive change is the minute we diminish what God can do and wants to do through each and every one of us. I totally believe that. Take, for example, this pitcher of water. We sometimes can underestimate the impact one life can make. You've got this pitcher of water. Let's say that the water represents culture, context. Think about your environment. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your community, your family, where you're at right now, where God has you positioned. And it may look big. It may look overwhelming. There may be a lot of decay. There may be a lot of negativity around you. Again, the opposition will be there. The force, again, we have a force that's greater than the force that's against us, though. I just want to remind you of that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let's just say you are one life represented by one drop in a massive context where transformational change is needed. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gifts of God that that were risen up when I laid hands on you and called you into the faith. Stir them up and keep them stirred up. So you're one life in a community that can absolutely be turned upside down. We just pave the way, folks. We just just allow God to do his thing through us. But I'm just thankful that this man chose not to uproot himself, not to jump out of the situation he was in and the people that he was around because it seemed a little bit uncomfortable. And I run into this a lot with people whenever they get on fire for God, they get excited and gung-ho, and it's awesome, but they'll, they'll be in a situation sometimes, and I, I think it's kind of innocent in the sense they don't mean harm by it, but a lot of times they're like, I, I, I want to get away from the people I'm around. I want to get out of the context that I'm around. I want to quit my job and move and leave and do all this stuff. And again, I'm not saying that never happens. But sometimes that's not what Jesus is wanting to do. Sometimes he wants to turn you back around and put, keep you right where you are and be the spark that brings a fire for him in that environment. There was a situation in the church in Corinth, and Paul wrote in the letter to 1 Corinthians, where they were, this was happening. They were getting excited, fired up about God, and, and a lot of them were doing these radical things like leaving their spouses and, and abandoning their families and just like doing all these crazy things because they thought they needed to jump out of where they were and go run somewhere else to go do ministry, as if where they were wasn't a perfect ground for it to happen. And Paul kind of rebukes that. He says this in, I don't even think I gave this to them, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, he says, I just want to add to the above that each man should live his life with the gifts that God has given him in the condition which God has called him. So he's saying, stop that nonsense. Quit acting like you need to leave everything you know to be effective for God. Turn around and do something where you are right now because your communities need that, yes. right? I mean, what is your context? Could I suggest to you, perhaps, you are exactly where you need to be. We all know the great author C.S. Lewis, right? Wrote great tons of great Christian writings through the 1900s. C.S. Lewis was a hero to the Christian faith. Millions of people come to know Jesus because of the things that he taught. This is interesting though, when you look at the life of C.S. Lewis. Did you know he was an atheist until he was 33 years old? When he was converted at 33, he was had a very prestigious position at a university in Oxford. He was a teacher. And then he gets converted and gets on fire for Jesus. Do you know what he did? He continued to teach for another 23 years and wrote books that impacted the world, millions of people over even after he's gone. He stayed in his context. He stayed in his environment. He didn't jump out. He actually turned around and said, what can I do right here? What has God given me? Where has he positioned me right now to make a difference in the lives of people all around me? He brought transformational change into that university, into people's lives, into that community, and it spread across the world. Millions of people all around the globe know who C.S. Lewis is in his writings, but more importantly, his life was was able to be used to glorify God through the gifts that God gave him in the context that he was in. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? So what is the context that you are in? Now, I do wanna make sure you understand that as you do this, and move into the places where you're at, you have to be prepared. You have to know things like, well, what Peter says in First Peter chapter 4, where he says, and this is in verse 4, of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do, so they slander you. And then Paul reminds Titus in his epistle, look, don't forget, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. He's saying, look, don't be surprised when you get back into your context if not everybody's super excited about it. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but it isn't like we make a decision and then everything's easy peasy and everybody just wants to follow in after that. I mean, there's some difficult things that come in the way of the Christian life, and we meet opposition head on when we begin to make a stand like these people did today to say to the world, I'm following Jesus now. It's not just going to always be easy. So the Bible says, like, be prepared. Don't be surprised whenever you meet these kind of things. But don't necessarily feel like you need to uproot and jump out of the environment, jump out of the places you're in that may be the exact opportunities that God was just waiting for you to come along and put you in position to do something about. Right? I mean, and we got to know we have to be strong and built up in our faith. That's why biblical community is an essential part of our lives because we spend time in environments that are outside of biblical community to bring change. So we have to be strong and fortified in our faith, and that happens through the word, through prayer, and biblical community. We have to be prepared when we're in the world making change and making a difference. That's why Jesus even warned us. He says in Matthew chapter 18, He says, Look, You got to make sure you know if you're going to get out there and do these things, if your hand is going to cause you to sin, cut it off. Get rid of it. You're better to enter life maimed than to continue in sin that leads to destruction. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Again, better off to enter life maimed than to continue in sin that leads to destruction. Not necessarily physically saying cut off your hand and pluck out of your eye. It's spiritual implications, meaning safeguard yourself. Know where you're vulnerable and make sure you're not foolish in the way that you go about bringing things and change into environments. Know where you need to be and where you don't need to be. Right? Can I get an amen on that? We need to make sure we know that we're where we're supposed to be and we're strong. But we have to be uh, strong and wise about that. And then lastly, just kind of going back to this story of this man that Jesus brings deliverance to and liberates. A few chapters later, Jesus has been around and traveled around Galilee region. He's made a big circle, and, and he's, he's back in the Decapolis now at the end of chapter 7, early part of chapter 8. And however long he was gone is unsure. But during this time, the man that Jesus delivered from the demonic possession has been spreading the word. He's been spreading the good news. People are marveling in the Decapolis, all of these cities, at this man's transformational change. People, uh, a man that people would have had nothing to do with before, right? Too unclean. And Jesus comes back, and when he gets there in chapter eight, the book of Mark, this is the famous scene where Jesus feeds 4,000 people who've come to hear him speak. Now I wanna ask you a question. Where did the 4,000 people come from? Where? I mean, Jesus left this region and then he returns. And when he returns, he's ready to speak, he's ready to preach. And this is the point where they bring loaves of fish or loaves of bread and fish. Jesus multiplies it. 4,000 people are fed and nourished that day. And there is an outpouring of Jesus's message on the people who are all there to listen. Now, can I just suggest to you that there is a direct connection with these events that are occurring with 4,000 people and the life of one man that Jesus said, stay where you are and go make a difference for me. Stay in your context and go spread the good news. Folks, we are at a point in our nation where the church truly is the answer. Our hope has to be in the transformational power of Jesus Christ in our world. It's very likely that the stage is set for an outpouring and for a revival. But make no mistake about it. We can't just sit back and wait and just hope somebody does something about it. We are all called to be a spark that starts a flame. Amen. All called to be a spark that brings about change. You may be thinking to yourself, it's too tough where I'm at. It's too difficult. There's too many problems. There's too much decay. You just don't understand. Maybe I don't understand. I I don't. But I do understand this. There's never been a situation that was too difficult for God. Right? Remember last two weeks ago, not last week, two weeks ago in the message where we were talking about Isaac, and God said, Is anything too difficult for God? Is anything impossible with God? No. You may say, My situation is just really bad, it's really tough. I'll close with this. In the book of Esther, Queen Esther runs into this situation where she's the queen to the Persian king Xerxes, and she's very afraid and worried for Xerxes to find out that she's a Jew because she feels like she'll be killed and likely all of her people will be killed. And her uncle, Mordecai, comes to her at this time and he says some very strong things. He says, listen, Esther. I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing, but this is in chapter four. He, He says, listen, Esther, I get it, okay? I understand, yes. You go, you make a stand, you declare your faith, Uh, Being a Jew, you might die. It might happen. Xerxes may kill you. But here's what's for a fact if you don't do something, we are all going to die. We are all doomed if nobody does anything in this situation that we find ourselves in right now. Our people are in threat of being wiped out because the evil that's surmounting against us is significant. You're going to have to do something. So Esther finally says, you know what? You're right, Mordecai, I am. I'm gonna make a stand. I'm gonna go to Xerxes, I'm gonna tell him, and if he kills me, he kills me. And Mordecai says something right back to her that is just one of the most powerful little verses in the Bible. He says, could it be you being the queen in a Persian kingdom at a time of great threat against our people that perhaps your context, your position as a royal prince, a queen Could it be that this whole situation is for such a time as this? For such a time as this? Can I just ask you, think about your context, think about your environment, think about where you are. I get that it's hard. I get that it's evil out there. But could it be that where you are right now with the power of God in your life by the person of the Holy Spirit, could it be that it is exactly for such a time as this? Could it be? Why not here? Why not now? Why not you? Why not your life? God has given you something that he wants the world to have. We are carriers. We are ambassadors of the answer, the solution to spiritual life that is the most significant and deepest thing that people are craving and need for all of eternity. Let's rise up. Let's be strong. Let's look where we're at right now and ask God, what can I do with what I have and where I am right now? Amen.